You're listening to the Collab Talk podcast, episode 32 of the MVP Buzz Chat series. In this episode, I'm talking with data platform MVP Ben Weissman. This is Christian Buckley. I'm here with another MVP Buzz Chat interview, and I'm here with Ben. And Ben, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. My name is Ben Weisman. I'm a data platform MVP based in Nuremberg, Germany. I'm a rather new MVP, actually. So I just made MVP March 1st this year. So basically two days before the MVP summit. So um, I did not go this year, but looking forward to meet all of you guys in person next year. That's a uh, great event. You, you, I, you know, it, it is, uh, and I would say, especially coming that far. I don't know if you visited Microsoft Campus before. I did. Um, like I said, I'm a data platform MVP, and one of the big events for us, besides the Microsoft events, is actually the Pass Summit, which takes place in Seattle as well, which is always around the October-November timeframe. So, um, yeah, I had a couple of chances to actually visit the campus but never with really the insight that um, obviously the MVP sure. summit actually gets well, here. And that's what's great. And I always recommend for the, for those that don't get out uh, to the area that often is, you know, definitely pack in that week, try and schedule any other interviews or, or discussions with Microsoft with product team members and other folks that'll be there. I mean, it, it really is a great opportunity. It's always unfortunate when MVPs come in, I got, look, I, I just moved you know, two years ago from Seattle to Salt Lake you know, for 12 years there. And I would advise friends coming in from out of town for these summits, like don't arrive late Sunday night, leave Thursday afternoon, like try to stay a little bit longer so yeah. that you, you can enjoy and, and get engage outside of the summit activities. Well, well tell us about a, a little bit about the data platform MVPs for those that aren't familiar, like myself with yeah. the scope of what do you guys cover? So um, the scope of the data platform MVPs or the data platform stack itself has actually grown and widened um, a huge bit over the last couple of years. So it starts, um, if you want, on the very left end um, with the DBAs, which do all the admin work, um, performance tuning, security and stuff. Then it goes to um, database developers going over to BI developers up to the Power BI stack, which kind of... Um, then is also bridging the gap from the data platform MVP to the um, Azure MVPs in parts and even the data center MVP. So that's where it all gets together because like pretty much all of the Microsoft programs, obviously also for the data platform part, there is a shift and a momentum growing towards Azure rather from on-prem, but at yep. the same time there's um, with SQL Server and everything that comes with it, there's still a huge on-prem product as well. So. Right. And it's, uh, no, I just had a conversation last night. We just met a guy who worked in IT and he was, he was explaining to me, like, it's almost like he was, um, uh, and he was, he was more on the uh, SQL server side of things, but was, uh, was like apologizing for not moving to the cloud. I'm like, well, I'm not Microsoft, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, so I understand it's okay. And you also don't need to apologize. And he was explaining the reasons why his, his organization had decided, made a conscious decision to remain where they were, uh, where they are for a couple of years, but yeah, it's okay. Uh, but I think it also, it shows that, uh, you know, with the, as the, as a data platform MVP is that some of the things that you look at focus on cut into other MVP areas. Um, but that, and I'm the same with the things that I do. I mean, I, there's, there's things kind of topics that I, that I cover that are over on the Azure side, 
Um, I'm involved in the blockchain uh, world, and so very much not part of office apps and, and services, um, but you know, deep within uh, Microsoft technologies and other areas, which is yeah. normal. Yeah, uh, and at the same time, you could argue that blockchain is also kind of part of the data platform, not just kind of, but um, so. And on yeah. that Azure thing, I, I think there's also lots of cultural reasons, like especially here in Western Europe, um, companies have been very hesitant in moving to the cloud. So we've seen very little momentum in going there over the last couple of years. And just last fiscal year, um, I just got back um, from Microsoft Inspire, which is the partner yep. conference, which is a very non-technical conference but this is where we do all the brainwashing for the beginning of the new fiscal year. That's right. Um, so. <laughs> I like how you phrase that. It was actually kind of light on the brainwashing this year. I was down there, but uh, uh, it, yeah, it was, uh, you know, because it, it's funny, you know, attending build and, and typically ignite, I'm not going to ignite this year, but uh, you know, attending all of these events is like you're, you're privy to um, public and some not yet public announcements. And, um, but you can usually get a, a fairly solid uh, grounding and kind of everything that's going on and then how Microsoft is going to market with those things. So it's an interesting perspective uh, attending Inspire. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing they said there is um, besides Morocco, Germany was the country in the world with the large growth in Azure. But um, the main reason for that is not that we did so great last year, but is that we did so poor the years before um, <laughs> because it's, if you got one customer, it's easy to get to 10, then from 10 to 100. So, right. um, yeah. Well, there, um, I mean, there definitely is growth, but I think what's happening, and Microsoft admits, while the numbers are all doing great, and, uh, uh, you know, but the, the, the fact that uh, hybrid kind of took Microsoft by surprise, how many uh, organizations, the, the large majority in the US, um, it's like uh, you know, close to 70% of organizations um, from our research, uh, you know, within the collaboration side of things, uh, are employing hybrid strategies. And it's part of it is because they've made all those investments. It, it's, I don't know if it's so much of a trust of the cloud, just of the practical stand of we've made these investments. They're working. They're delivering the value. We can't just go and move net new onto these, these new technologies, we've got to transition towards that. And the time that that takes, they said, we're not in a rush um, to go and do that. And so I don't know if you see that on kind of your perspective in, in especially in Germany, I mean, is, I don't know what the numbers are in Germany for hybrid versus pure cloud growth. I, I could not tell you, but um, I'm pretty sure that uh, most companies that currently go towards a cloud strategy will still go hybrid for a couple of years. But more and more people actually see the big value of the cloud. Um, and even if it's just for death and testing purposes, like um, I was just going through the MPP program um, for AI. Mm -hmm. And for that, I needed a couple of virtual machines um, with lots of pro processors and lots of uh, memory and all that. Right. Yeah, you're so not going to be able I, to I just, scale those I things just, on your own. I Unless just, you have server that. farms, you know, at your fingertips. You're not exactly. Gonna be able to... Plus, what? even if I had those server farms, I would have to make that huge investment for hardware that I wouldn't need afterwards. And for that, I just came up, provisioned that huge machine um, and shut it down two days after. Um, and it was gone and the cost was gone as well. And that, that's right. what more and more people seem to realize that um, 
Yeah. If you're sending an email, it goes through the same internet where the cloud is, and we're using email on a day-to-day -day basis, so there is no real need to actually be afraid of it, and there's actually lots of benefits that come with it. And that, One thing that's, that's in, 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 in kind of addressing the, that FUD, the fear, uncertainty, and doubt of moving to the cloud, and, and I think there's very, again, there's very real concerns around security, compliance, those kinds of things, and so you have to do your homework. You have to understand what that looks like. There's also a feature parity of the things that you've customized and built that could also delay your move to the, to the cloud. All things that you Definitely. have to take into consideration. I, I always tell clients, like, don't feel bullied into, like, you must go into. And people say, well, I feel like I'm being left behind. Well, you kind of are. <laughs> Um, because I mean, certainly in the Microsoft space, like all new development is happening cloud first and in you know, that direction it doesn't mean that there's not investment still being made in on-prem in certain areas, but that is where innovation is happening the, the, the fastest. Um, so, I mean, you have to kind of balance all of those things. Very true. Yeah. So, uh, what, what, so what are some of the topics that you're covering uh, lately? Like, what, are you out presenting at various conferences and uh, community events, things like that? I am. So, um, one of the key topics that I'm passionate about is BIML, the business intelligence markup language. Mm -hmm. So, I'm from the data warehousing and BI development field. Um, that, that's kind of my background. Um, and, and that's how I actually got into the whole speaking part and all of that. So... Around three years back at Pass Summit, um, I met those guys from Verigen to actually develop BIML. So mm -hmm. for, for those not aware what BIML is, it is basically a markup language that you can use to generate SSIS packages or analysis services cubes or models. So you basically add a layer of abstraction on top of it, um, which you can feed through metadata or so. And that basically means I just have one table that tells me, well, I want to load this table from here to there and I need this and this logic or transformations in between. And then you just press the magic button and it spits out thousands or hundreds of packages and all that. So it can save a huge amount of time. And I was like, okay, that could actually add real value for us as a company and also to our clients. Mm -hmm. um, so I got into that and I said, well, there's not many people in Germany actually doing or at least talking about it. And that's how I got into talking. Yep. So my first SQL set of the day was uh, SQL set of the day Vienna on April 1st, um, 2016. Yep. And yeah. One year, 11 months later, um, I got MVP for all these speaking engagements. In between, I wrote about 50 blog posts, mainly around BIMO. Um, I wrote a book with a couple of other guys from the mostly MVP community who are also as passionate around BIMO from all around the world. So there so were- So it's, um, it's a BIMO book? There, it's I'll called have, The BIMO Book. Um, okay. I'll have to go find that. We'll, we'll link to it in the blog post around it. But it's, so my, my career actually spent my first almost a decade in uh, uh, data warehousing and in uh, uh, all of the, the front end applications yeah. for that. So I've deployed uh, those packages like, uh, like you know, business objects back in the day. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, like uh, it was DSS or, or um, uh, ETS. Um, I think they've rebranded since then, but worked with SAS and a bunch of these yeah. other front end modules. But having to go through and in that data warehousing world and, and working with, uh, I, I worked a long time ago for the phone company in California. And so working with the various consumer groups. And so it was, we went and built it, this, this Mart architecture and we're constantly adding data sources in and merging them and building these subsets to be able to do all this reporting. So I remember how, and as you do, how hard that was to go and, and 
merge that data to find this to give them yeah. so that it performed somewhat reasonably, gave them a subset so that they could much more quickly go do reports and, and other things off that. It was, uh, yeah, it was just a different world than it, than it is today. Yeah, and, and the thing with something like BIML is it just takes out the repetitive part because usually you end up doing, once you found the way you, you want to do something, you have to do it over and over again because you need to do it for like 10 different groups or 50 different tables or whatever. And it just takes out that repetitiveness. And what we've seen is it does not necessarily shorten the project, but it allows us to actually um, focus in the project on stuff that is more fun and creates more valuable for everyone involved. So... Um, well, that's it, it, it I, made working more fun in the right. data working part for us. Well, it, and it's it's um, no, no I, and I I get that part. I, I have zero experience with BIML. I've been out of that space for for many many years. But of course, that uh, um, I mean, it's still you know really relevant today. It's funny when I when I was at Microsoft and I left in two thousand nine, and I used to just joke about the the fact that in the Microsoft ecosystem, like we don't have DBAs. Like, you know, where are the DBAs? Were they just yeah. rebranded somewhere? I was like, we don't really, we have that. Now, obviously, in the SQL world, I mean, they all were there and it, titles changed and, and, and things, but, um, but that technology or that, or that type of role for organizations as we're getting more and more, maybe you call them data analysts, data scientists now, but are doing a lot of that same kind of work. I mean, exactly. I mean, so I what mean, are the types of customers that, that you're working with around these? I mean, how are they using this, this technology? Maybe you could give some examples. So um, customers we work for are usually from the mid-market, upper mid-market part. So um, we actually do also a lot of workbench um, work for them, meaning that we actually build lots of those warehouses for them. So um, most of them would not have like a department where they actually are able, either from a capacity or knowledge point of view, um, to actually build that stuff themselves. So yeah. well, we, we kind of do outsourcing parts for them and they actually come from all kind of um, verticals. So we got um, a manufacturer for car child seats, we got breweries, we got um, real estate um, administrators, we, pretty much everything I would say. So right now we're in a, involved in around 80 different projects um, with 10 people. So that also gives you a perspective. Um, everyone working for at least eight, usually more customers at the same time, how um, small some of them actually have to be and why it doesn't make sense for them to actually employ uh, an own department or even um, own FTE for that. But you think of that, I mean, it really does touch across even every area within an organization. I mean, you need to, um, I mean, I, I think of my little uh, you know, company with four uh, employees, it's that you know, we look at data from a sales and marketing standpoint, we go and look at, of course, we do research. So we have subsets of data in a lot of different areas, depending yeah. on the projects that are going on. Um, but we're constantly, and we partner with companies like our closest partner around data is uh, Tigraph. So, uh -huh. you know, John White, you know, MVP, and it's kind of hard to miss him. He's, he's, uh, he has giant features. Um, so he's giant-ish. Uh, he's not that big. Is he? But, uh, um, but uh, you know, just fascinating conversations going in and looking at, you know, the potential for, um, you know, data into each areas of the company. One of the biggest changes in Microsoft internally, as they kind of restructured, one of the things that um, Satya uh, wanted to change was that <clears throat> every product team, every organization had these, uh, you know, these data scientists, had people that own the telemetry into the features, into the products, into uh, even the, you know, the, the, the market, the community around their 
areas of focus so that they could make data-driven decisions around that. Is that kind of what you, you do with, with organizations depending on the requirements? De definitely. So um, also our, our team is kind of divided like half-half with people that more got a background in economics and people that more have an IT background um, to really be able to understand all these processes, including all their yeah, aspects um, that it, they actually have in driving the value and success or failure within within an um, uh, within a company, basically. That, that's a key. That, that's an important point because you could come in as a technologist and say, "Here's the tools. Here's how we structure it. There you go." And then an organization says, "Great, we have shiny new stuff." Uh, exactly. So. We, we kind of consider ourselves more like a trusted advisor. So usually we also don't think in projects, but um, we consider our customers being our partners, which means um, I've been working with some of my customers for 10, 15 years or longer. So wow. um, well, obviously with different intensities. So from time to time they come up with, yeah, well, we're switching from NAV to AX or from AX to SAP. Don't tell anyone yep. I said that. Um, yep. I know what all the stuff is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which obviously means um, that there's a spike in what we do for them um, yeah. for a certain period, then it may slow down again. But um, usually we keep working with them for years or technically forever in most cases. So, so let me let me ask you because here's a uh, it's a point of frustration. In fact, I just described this problem uh, in a conversation last night. I was at there was a neighborhood party, a little celebration out closed off a street and had fireworks and food all afternoon and stuff. And of course I'm standing off to the side having uh, IT conversations uh, found cause I saw somebody wearing an ignite t-shirt and yeah. I'm like, I'm like, Hey, you know, and uh, but we got in and talked about that is the fact that when you get in, when you're that close to a client and you're representing, you're helping them build out the technical, the infrastructure side of that, and then helping them start to understand how to use that and leverage that for their, that business, that business advisor role is when they don't listen or take action. <laughs> like that's really hard for me. Um, that, that aspect of it, um, you know, and I don't know if you run into that, if you experience the same pains or if, if your clients listen to the things, the advice that, that you give them of how to then utilize those systems. But there's, it's, it's so many projects when they fail, it's largely due to failure of, of execution rather than of the platform. Oh, I agree. Uh, we experienced that rarely. Thankfully, and the reason for that is probably that we usually try to cut it into very small pieces. So um, when we come to see a potential customer for the first time, we try not to talk about the huge big picture, but um, what's your biggest pain? How can we help you the quickest? Uh, and then it's going to be like, oh, um, these guys did something in five days where everyone told me it's going to take 10 years or it's impossible. Um, because um, let's be honest, in many cases, it's not that complicated. Um, right. And uh, well, obviously, on the other hand, there are there is some real complicated stuff out there which, which takes longer. But we try to start with something small, baby um, steps. Yeah, the baby ba step ba into that. Baby right. Because these baby steps also mean um, they will see, oh well, they solved the last problem, so let's look at the next one. Right. First of all, it helps us being able um, to serve that many customers with a company that small. Because obviously, if someone would say, well, I want to buy that project with fifteen hundred days or whatever, um, all of a sudden it would be like, well honestly there is no way we can actually deliver that yeah so it helps us but it also helps them because that means they won't wait for a year or even if it's just six months to actually see a result right um and once they see you solve their first problem they they start listening easier yeah. not all of them 
and obviously we'll always have to fight some of um, those guys in every company, especially those that um, told everyone it's impossible. Right. Well, and that's the other thing too is that them to become your friends. <laughs> maybe the impossible involves a hundred different things that they you know need to do, and it may be true that all hundred things need to be done. But what happens if you come in and knock off five, seven, ten of those small wins initially? What happens is that as that change starts to happen, it also evolves their thinking about the rest of the problems. So the whole problem that they think needs to be solved also shifts; it moves. Um, based on their new understanding of what's possible of what you've already delivered. And that's, I mean, there's a, look, there's science behind, you know, the change management, that True. aspect of it, what happens, but that's an important aspect. I do, I take the same approach, which is let's see what we can address and go and do now. And, and as we're working towards that, that big picture, because that's what happens in my experience, nine out of 10 times is that what they thought was the biggest problem actually shifts and moves once they get some solutions down this this level, it's uh, yeah. it's it's funny how our you know our understanding changes as progress is made. Hmm. Yeah, and also if you do these baby steps, the other thing is, in many cases they will see what, what they were trying to do is impossible, but also what they were trying to do doesn't make so much sense. And the only reason they want to do it is because we've always done it this way. Right. We have to do this. Um, Let's discuss for a second what you're actually trying to achieve and not how you were solving it manually for the last two decades, but how right. this could potentially be done in a more efficient way. Right. Like, same thing, we just had that, um, I've just started doing a podcast with two other MVPs um, and it's called Please Talk Data to Me. So we talk around everything around the data platform. And one of the first topics we were talking about was Azure Data Factory, which is um, a Microsoft product on Azure. Um, which is used to kind of orchestrate data flows in the cloud. So in the beginning, many people, honestly, including me, thought, well, this is SSAS for the cloud, and it's not. And if you're just trying to push into ADF what you were doing in SSAS, you will fail. But if you see, well, this is a completely different approach, and I cannot just take it one by one, but it will um, potentially solve the same problem in a different but maybe even better way. Right. And, and that's the same thing where just being, yeah, I like that, that term, trusted yeah. advisor. It brings fresh perspective, and they will that, stop you me. know, you, you just described like uh, just about every single on-prem uh, uh, customization or uh, you know the the built from scratch by a company solution versus moving to the cloud. Sometimes it is, you know, it's not a port this code over and hey, we're now in the cloud, uh, and there and that's possible in some cases, um, but it really is a rethinking the way that you've done it leveraging the latest technologies, that's the, the whole discussion around business transformation. That's exactly it. That's what it is. How do we, here's what we need to accomplish. Let's step back, get out of the trappings of this is the way that we've always done it. These are the technologies that we've used to solve that business problem. Um, I, I always phrase it as it's, it's a business analyst activity to first yes. assess and understand what are we trying to accomplish here? What, is available to us out in the world are there because sometimes there are not the tools features things in the cloud that can do what you need done hence your on-prem or a hybrid solution um, but it, it's business transformation takes a sometimes a rethinking of how you're solving the problems you're solving because there might be a better way that is more scalable more easily supported for the future 
that exactly. you're just uh, you're locked in a very expensive cycle that's limited growth today. Yeah. Anyway, that's it's I you know there's a lot of that are fun topics around here. Well, I know that to, you know we're 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 kind of on time here, but what's the best way then that people can get in touch with you? What's the, to, if they want to find out more about what you're doing? Well, um, if they want to find more um, about what I'm doing in, in the BIML area, there's um, my blog, BIML.blog. So that's pretty easy. And otherwise I'm on Twitter at B Weissman. Um, and people get, well, my DMs are open for everyone, even if they don't follow me. So you don't have to follow me um, to get in touch with me. And I don't have to follow you, um, even though I'm happy to follow everyone who follows me. Um, so that's that's one of the good, um, easiest ways of getting in touch with me on anything that's data platform and community related. And then obviously also um, my email, but in emails, um, personal stuff uh, can easily get lost um, in due sure. to that. Well, like, like everything, so for those that are finding this video out on YouTube is that if you go over to buckleyplanet.com, I actually have a blog post where I'll provide links to um, Ben's book and, 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 and all the various websites and social channels as well. So you can find it through um, buckleyplanet.com. And, uh, and I'll definitely, you know, Ben, anything else that you want to include in links and, and articles and anything else that you'd like me to, uh, to mention within that post, just send it over and I'll make sure to, to include that. We'll do it. Cool. Uh, well, thanks a lot for your time. And, and I hope to see you, uh, next, next March. Um, I don't know if you're, uh, planning to go, I'll be over in Copenhagen in November, but I think that's my only other European trip except, uh, backpacking in Iceland. Probably I will be in Seattle in November um, because that's when past summit is this year. They've that's pushed right. Back. Um, I might see you over there. I might be in town for that. So awesome. We'll definitely have to stay in touch. But thanks a lot for your time today. Thank you. Thank you.